0: The dawn of civilization, primitive, <laughs> dangerous, <laughs> exciting, the handwriting is on the wall. If the human race is ever going to amount to anything, it needs the most civilized caveman I have ever seen. Aww. Look, he's come out of his cave.
1: Hey everyone thanks for tuning in this is james from cave dweller music and i have my co-host brendan with me again today today we're joined by jake from chrome ghost uh brendan and i've both been long-time fans of your band it's really awesome to have you on the show thanks for coming on
2: thanks for ha- having me
1: and uh do you want to just maybe tell people who who don't know the band um, what you guys do and who you are
2: yeah chrome ghost is a sacramento california based very sad dramatic kind of doom metal band in so many words um i play guitar and i sing and uh yeah i'm kind of the the band dad as well i do all the behind the scenes stuff for the most part nice
1: that's the stuff that you don't really get in the credits on the album so thanks for for letting everyone i mean i
2: could i could (laughs) put that in there if i wanted to i could put band dad in the credits (laughs)
1: I think we should uh normalize that that should be a standard industry thing
2: yeah I mean I mean my bandmates aren't here but I'm clearly band dad and then Jacob the drummer is band mom and then (laughs) Joe the bass player is the baby Joe (laughs) (laughs) and there was there is absolutely I can say that in full confidence that they're not here that they would both agree (laughs)
1: it's great (laughs) everyone knows their place (laughs) yeah so we want to get you on obviously because you just brought out House of Falling Ash recently, um, which was on my album of the list year from 2022. Absolutely killer release. One of my favorites from from you guys so far. So love it. Yeah. Stunning album.
2: Well, thank you. I appreciate it. We kind of gambled a little bit on some of our ideas, and I think that they worked out for the most part. Um, It's been really interesting to see not only how much love that it's been Given to the music, but also kind of what people are most responding to is not necessarily what I would have thought. I think the two songs that I thought were going to be like everyone would lose their shit. Oh my god, this is the craziest thing ever. Those are the two like least played songs on the album and then the two that were kind of just like the more uh, off the cuff, or even the more kind of stitched together songs are the ones that people seem to be responding the most to so it's helping me kind of figure out like what what part of my writing process is actually the most effective and connects with the most people and is it more of the intuitive thing or is it more of like the crazy planned out kind of thing so it's been it's been an interesting experience so far overwhelmingly positive for sure but definitely interesting
1: that's awesome i mean that's the thing if you're a band that doesn't really play with your sound or change things up you never really learn what people would be willing to accept so i mean like bands like opeth are like they change stuff so often that they've kind of figured out, I guess, over the period of their career, what people didn't didn't like each time they changed sounds.
2: And the Opeth is a band that I've never listened to that we get compared to all the time. I find it really interesting.
1: That is interesting because I I definitely thought that you guys were kind of like influenced by them. So that's funny that you say that.
2: Yeah. I never even heard an Opeth song until somebody told me that we sounded like Opeth. And I, I listened to, I think maybe one or two songs and, that's been my entire opeth experience so far
1: <laughs> i i wouldn't say like personally that you, you sound so much like opeth i just i just see like some similarities between the two um with like the balancing of the harsher and you know more mellow elements and then like some of the some of the songwriting but it sounds pretty different I, I would say at least yeah, yeah i mean
2: i get it when when people when i listened to the music i was like oh okay i understand why we're kind of painting with the same colors. At some points
1: right exactly exactly so same thing
2: with like uh, alice in chains and i think especially the first record there's all uh, all those like parallel fifths that we mm-hmm. did with the vocal harmonies and stuff and uh but alice in chains is another band that i barely listen to I, I i've only listened to alice in chains on the radio for most of my life so i think it's just like sometimes some things just get stuck in your dna and you can't get them out and i think maybe they're so big that that's kind of the frame of reference.
1: I, th- I think so. It's, it's like one of those things It's like when you're a thrash band, someone's always going to compare you to like one of the big four at some point, even if you don't sound that much like them.
2: Oh, yeah, that's fair. Yeah.
1: Um, so what sort of inspired the, the change in sound? Like what was the motivation between, behind making the album the way it is?
2: Um, I mean, we're always writing and we're always interested in doing something that we haven't done just so we don't get bored. I mean, previously I had said that, you know, I was paying a lot of attention to what people were emotionally connected to. And that's a huge part of what I wanna get out of this is I wanna make music that people like and are connected to, but at the same time, that has to fit within what I'm interested in making. Um, and we're only making music that we're interested in making. Um, and I think that that's been morphing over the years. And I think Jacob, the drummer just suggested at some point or throughout the word americana and was like we should try to incorporate these types of feelings and moods into the songs and then i took it as kind of like a challenge and mm-hmm. uh it i think it worked out great because there's just these you know it becomes a game of finding these little holes in the songs and going okay can we fit this little twangy part in there and then yeah. when when you zoom out it all makes sense Right. That's the most important part. It's not supposed to feel tacked on or like um, silly or I didn't even want it to sound like an experiment because and sounding like an experiment to me implies a lack of confidence in what we're doing. And I thought I felt like we were pretty confident, even though we knew that it might not work
1: i would definitely agree i I think the album felt very comfortable in itself it it didn't feel like it was a transitional phase. yeah transitional phase is like similar sort of phrasing as like experiment um it it felt like you were there it didn't feel like you were playing with things
2: well that's cool that means it worked
1: (laughs) i think so right (laughs) and uh
2: yeah we're we're always interested in in doing new stuff and like how far away can we get from what we're doing And it still be a recognizable version of what we've always done.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think with like keeping doing what you're doing, you know, with like having it just like beautiful and melancholic and then all of a sudden just crushing and heavy and, you know, and like the way you like sing, you know, like all that, like that, the formula that you have is great. Just keep making a different story.
2: It's definitely a formula for sure. I mean, we talk about it. It's not on accident that, you know, it's loud, quiet, loud kind of stuff. Like, you know, you would hear on a Nirvana record. Um, The the fun part for me is stretching that dynamic range to as far as it can go. Like how quiet can we make the quiet part? How loud can the loud part be? Um, And now I'm interested in how how subtly can we get from one end of the spectrum to the other? Um, I don't know if you guys heard the new Russian circles album, but that song, um, Oh my God, the one that they did the video for, I can't remember the name of it right now, Um... but it's so, it's one of the best examples I can think of, of transition, because from the beginning to the end of the song is the most perfect transition between movements and riffs that I've heard in a long time. And uh, I was just blown away by that. And now I'm kind of thinking like, oh, maybe I should take a, you know, a leaf out of their book and see what I can get away with. Uh, The song is called Gnosis. Right. G-N-O-S-I-S.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: But it's just this perfect build. And I can't think of another song that I've heard in recent years that moved so, like, it's like... um, you know, the whole thing with the frog in the boiling water, where if you drop a frog in boiling water, it'll jump out, but if you turn it up slow enough over time, it kills the frog. They killed the frog. Like, it all happens so perfectly that you don't even notice until you get to the end, and you're like, whoa, sledgehammered.
1: Um, yeah. yes. so I, I might be remembering this wrong, but that like, side note, but the, that frog analogy, I remember someone telling me that it actually ended up being uh fake like the dude who who did those experiments um actually co- took out part of the frog's brains before he put them in the water <laughs> and uh like faked the results uh to try and like <laughs> prove that he was on onto something it may it may not be true but i did i i've I, I heard that before
2: so are you trying to say that my whole argument is bullshit now
1: Oh, no, no, oh, the argument man. stands up. <laughs> <laughs> Just that's, that's what I said, side note, <laughs> unrelated unrelated to your premise. <laughs> that's funny.
2: It, you know, it's too concerned with getting the result that you want. So and maybe, you know, that sounds like there's honestly uh, now there's two allegorical kind of philosophical bends to this whole thing. Is that exactly. There's the, surf- there's the surface allegory. And then now there's this deep allegory of fudging the numbers, basically
1: exactly uh, there's another one like that as well with the lemming you know the whole lemmings of a cliff thing
2: yeah I've, I've heard about that disney doing the uh documentary and killing a bunch of lemmings so that they can make up some weird shit about how they jump off cliffs
1: right they were just chasing them off the cliffs off camera
2: <laughs> well i mean um uh what's the famous one uh there's the documentary Nanook of the north it was like the first pop pop culture documentary like hit and uh it's like uh, significantly fabricated the events of the the movie
0: it was about a hitchhiker so, right
2: no nanook of the north is about like uh i don't know if this is the right word anymore but like an eskimo guy oh it, oh it, it was like the, yeah, first, yeah, 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 yeah. the first widespread um awareness of, that people had of the indigenous people that live like way up at there
0: you know, yeah. That's
2: where we that's where we got all of our cultural uh, ideas of what those people did, and it all came from a documentary that was just like uh, manipulated and and uh, stretched.
0: Yeah, he's like wearing a sheep sheep coat.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, probably every every like Eskimo uh, iconography or, or design that we've ever seen comes from that documentary still to this day.
1: <laughs> I, I've never understood people like thinking that they're not going to get caught out with this when it's something that's so public. Um, well, this happened in like the 20s, right? Okay, less fact checking mm-hmm. back then, I guess.
2: <laughs> yeah, people were just yeah. like, "Wow, this is on a movie." I guess this way less in real right. life now.
1: <laughs> exactly. It's uh, do you remember that that band Ghost that claimed they were Chinese?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. I remember um, before that was found out um jacob my drummer telling me about you got to hear this weird chinese black metal band and
1: And they're from uh, north dakota
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean good for them whatever fuck it like
1: right i i respect it yeah it's it's a marketing play
0: it's like it's funny that like being foreign is you know the marketing play
2: (laughs) well you gotta think there's probably um a a big splash effect from that of all of a sudden people are Googling Chinese black metal. Now there's probably a bunch of actual Chinese black metal musicians whose band
0: camps blew up over the years because of,
3: because of this
0: lie. I mean, that's definitely cool. Like there's always a, you know, a ripple effect of like good, you know,
1: right. It's it's a silver lining to the lie, but I mean, there, there actually is a fantastic, Chinese black metal scene we actually posted a review this morning from a Chinese black metal band um oh
2: shit. Right.
1: yeah some good stuff it's just like it doesn't get much exposure and like the issue is that obviously they can't have socials um but yeah. being based in China so they have to have people outside of the country run them like uh like a third party person manage their socials so it's, I mean, it's interesting there's a
2: lot of places on earth where being in a metal band can get you in serious trouble which is so funny to think about
1: definitely it's like you take it for granted living in a, a country like the U.S. or Australia.
2: Yeah. I mean, here, I mean, you're not going to get in trouble. People just might think you're a loser, which is
1: fine.
0: <laughs> yeah. You <Right>. probably are. <laughs> <laughs> if not both. you right. Yeah.
1: Um, so we're going to just look back a little bit because obviously we loved House of Falling Ash, but the album that introduced me to you guys and the one that Brendan showed me um, was, was The Diving The Diving Bell um and we're also huge fans of that one so is there anything you like would like to say about that album
2: yeah i mean i've said it before but the, the funny ironic aspect of that album is that we and me and myself in particular i was so depressed with how it turned out after it was done that we didn't even do anything with it for months we didn't show anybody we just it was done and we're like all right whatever let's move on what and uh, Yeah, I don't know. Things, things don't always turn out the way that you expect them to. And I think back then I was still so deep into my own expectations that I was frustrated with the way that it turned out and couldn't reconcile, uh, my feelings about it. And then we played a show in Oakland with this great band called Oryx, O-R-Y-X. Yeah. um,
0: From Colorado.
1: Yeah.
2: And, um, James from Transylvanian was there and he was like, Hey, what's up with that record? And I was like, Oh, you know, I don't know. We haven't done anything. He's like, no, you got to put it out like ASAP. Like, let's do it. He's like, it's almost the end of the year. And I think from that conversation, we put the record out. Like, I don't even know, like four or six weeks later.
0: Yeah. I uh, I found it was from Transylvanian recordings.
2: Yeah. That was um, a, a big thing for us. And the other, you know, there's a second layer of silliness to the Transylvania story because I had been a fan of what James was doing for a long time. The first Chrome Go show ever was uh, Swamp, Witch was the one of the headlining bands. And uh, I didn't even know. I, I barely I didn't know anybody at that point. I didn't know yeah. anybody in the music scene at all. And from that first show that we played are uh, still people that I'm friends with to this day, um, including Patrick Hills, who records all of our stuff. Um, Chris Lemus from the band Church, who has booked us on tons of great shows. And has really helped us and kind of champion the band. James from Transylvanian. And uh, even more people that I've have, have maintained good relationships with to this day. But um, I had sent James the first EP we did, Reflection Pool. And I was like, hey, check this out. And I sent him a tape that I had made. Yeah. And, um, and we got into this weird thing where we both wanted to work together and I think we were both sending hints to each other. And the, the other person just didn't receive the hints at all. It was ridiculous. Like years went by and he was going like, wow, I guess he doesn't want to work with me. And I was thinking like, "Wow, oh, I guess he doesn't want to work with me. Either. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, he just like, one day was just like, Hey, why haven't we released anything together? And I was like, Oh, I don't know. I thought you weren't into it. And he's like, no, what are you talking about? And uh, I was just ah. being too, I was being too insecure and I think that came off as like aloof to him where I was just like didn't need whatever he had to offer but uh, uh, once man. we teamed up it, it was a very potent uh, combination. He's been a, a great help and a good friend to the band.
0: Yeah. Awesome. yeah, no, I mean, I was like diving through his um, discography there, you know, everything he's got and um, I came across that and then I was like, oh, my God, dude, this is, like, one of my favorite. Like, it's one of my all-time favorite albums. Like, I love that. I love it to pieces. It's great. Well, it's so awesome I'm glad that to you took the point I mean, I like it, it
2: now. I think yeah. it's great now. But, I mean, I still hear the things that I don't like about it now. But they don't hurt my feelings when I hear it anymore.
1: Yeah. Was the um, I, was the public reception, like, as warm as it was for this album, for that one as well? or
2: Yeah, it was a little different. Um, But that was still we were totally blown away. We were like, Oh, shit, like, what the fuck is going on? Um, You know, it all of a sudden started opening doors and people are paying attention. And I think our from the diving bell, not that these metrics truly matter, but they are an indicator of how things are going. But our social media presence like tripled in size nice in a couple months um and that makes me think that we're doing something that's getting people's attention which is a good thing
0: uh, um, making fucking awesome music man
2: <laughs> yeah and then like mike shite from yob all of a sudden is posting about us on his facebook
3: and wow. uh,
2: that that's the kind of stuff where i was like oh shit, what's going on here um the difference the main difference between this record and the last one The diving bell is with the diving bell we did no lead up to it at all we just Mm -hmm. like put it out one day it was like here we go um and this new one we worked hard with um seeing red to kind of have a plan um tom from seeing red was was very instrumental in laying out a kind of it was like a six month you know hit these points kind of goals and uh Man, it 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 shows when you actually have a plan to do mm-hmm. things instead of just like you can have a plan to just drop something and you know walk mic drop and walk away all cool. But that wasn't the case with us. We just kind of like put it out there for lack of a better idea. And with House of Falling Ash, you know, we were a lot smarter about things and had more help and, and more awareness of what we should have been doing. And you know, it made quite a it made a much bigger splash which was uh i'm you know i'm I, i'm a paranoid insecure person so i was like what the fuck? like you know articles coming up this is the best album it, you know of the year and i'm sitting there going like all right what what is what's their game why are they saying this <laughs> you know, what, what's the yeah i'm trying to i'm looking for some weird machiavellian kind of motivation behind somebody giving me a compliment um which is you know obviously a little unhealthy. so I've been I've been getting better about it.
1: I mean that that kind of shows the uh, how important it can be to have a good label, uh, at least a label that, that can help guide you in those areas. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. seeing red is a, a fantastic label. So how did you come to work with them?
2: Shoot. Um, when the diving bell came out, I think it was like a week or two or maybe a, maybe even up to a month after the diving bell came out. Tom from Seeing Red sent me an email going like, hey, can we put this out? And I was like, yeah, of course. Um, And one of the reasons that we didn't have a bigger splash is because we started working with a label after the record was out already, which is not really how people do things. Um, And uh, we kind of, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought right now. So good. <laughs> I started thinking like five steps ahead of what I was actually gonna say. Um, <laughs> we put out you know, a, a limited run of 250 records and then about in just a couple months. And then we're all kind of just standing around going like, Oh, shit, I guess we better try this again and do it better next time. So that's basically what we did. Um, you know, House of Falling Ash, with seeing red was kind of like a take two of let's see what we can do when we actually put our minds to it in a teamwork kind of way.
1: And um, have you been touring to promote the album?
2: Say that one more time.
1: Have you been uh, touring for this album?
2: No. um, So we had some medical issues within the band that made it uh, uncertain of what we were going to be able to accomplish. Um, And even during the recording of the album, Jacob, our drummer, had a torn ligament in his knee. Oh. And he he was like, hey, I have to get knee surgery, oh, and I said, oh. okay, well, we'll we'll postpone the recording. And he's like, no, it's fine. I'll just schedule the surgery for after the recording. <laughs> so that whole album, his right knee was busted, um, and that's you know the kick drum knee. And uh, so we've we're used to kind of challenges. I mean. Um, we postponed the recording of the diving bell because I broke my wrist Huh. and so shit happens all the time and the same thing happened you know after or uh just this kind of during the fall of last year before the record came out we were thinking okay we need to do this we need to do that we need to do xyz and then all of a sudden we're having problems again and um so we weren't able to plan anything based on that. Cause we didn't know what was happening. You know, people are getting cat scans and MRIs and shit and we're going, okay, well, we better not put anything on the calendar just in case. Cause I do I'd rather not cancel stuff.
0: Right. Um, yeah.
2: And have to explain everything 50 times. But the good thing is that we're all doing okay. Now that's good. And we're working on yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're we're we've got things that we're working on that, if it happens, will be really cool. And if it doesn't happen, we got Plan B. So, um, I would expect people to uh, see us in a town other than Sacramento this year. I'll say that.
1: That's great. I mean, if you come to the West Coast, I'll, I'll be there for sure.
0: Uh, yeah, where well, you guys? Well, I mean, your... you're on the
1: West Coast. That's right. I <laughs> just East just thinking Coast. about that. Come to Hartford.
2: What's that? Uh, Connecticut yeah all right let me uh let me let me write that down <laughs> <laughs> no, no i'd just,
0: love to it, it, the
2: east coast sounds awesome
0: it's we funny an, uh... oh go sorry ahead. go ahead yeah you probably get some good show um responses around boston area too, new york you know
2: i mean i'd love to we had a uh one of the little things that we weren't able to do was uh dallas Seeger from Seeger guitars who built a guitar that i play um and i'm Currently talking to him about having another guitar built, is in a great band called Manic Abraxas, and they're so weird and it's so sick. It's like it's hard for me to even describe what it is, but it's like primitive heavy metal, hard rock kind of stuff. Um, and he was like, "Hey, it'd be really cool if you guys could come out here because they're based in in Maine and do like an East Coast run." And we were trying to figure that out for a minute, but the medical issue stuff kind of put the kibosh on that. Mm. Um, Uh, But yeah, I'll play anywhere. I mean, if somebody was like, come to Albania and play, I'd be like, all right, let's fucking go to Albania.
3: (laughs) Hell yeah. You know,
2: I I just want to, I want to get out and play shows and have fun and meet people. We've just been, we've had quite a bit of bad luck over the course of seven years, along with all the good luck that we've had. So yeah, kind of we kind of uh, hope for the best and just keep, keep on trucking.
1: I was just going to say the, uh, the whole come to the West coast thing is just like a subconscious thing for me because like 90, I swear 90% of the guests we've had on the show are either from the East coast or the South. Like you just never get Hmm. people from my, from down here. So it's, it's nice to actually be speaking to someone who could easily tour through where I live.
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't blame anyone for not knowing where Sacramento is. It's not exactly, you know, the, the bastion of culture and, and and light and beauty <laughs> but it's not it's... bad even I, I don't give a shit I, I live in the suburbs i don't care um i enjoy the 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 half mile radius around my house is my favorite place so i don't give a shit about anything other than that
1: well i heard you guys have a pretty cool uh like old town like your historic district is pretty sweet <laughs> i've never heard somebody
2: say that it's pretty cool Not really so <laughs> i appreciate
1: <laughs> it I've, I've, I've never been i've just i've just had people tell me so
2: <laughs> uh it's fine it's like you know a little riverfront kind of thing there's a bunch of old buildings and like boardwalks and stuff it's also just i feel like everywhere you go at least everywhere that i go you can't escape just like people acting gnarly and you know <laughs> poop and pee maybe that's just california
0: but uh
1: that, that's yeah. california <laughs> yeah yeah uh, it, I don't, it's I the just, warmest place uh, I
0: mean, to be all year round you know it's like fuck yeah, I, don't I, don't, I don't care. I, I'm not
2: too hard on uh, cities or whatever because I just don't like to go outside and meet strangers anyway. So it's I have no uh, particular bias against most places.
1: No, that's fair enough. Um, are you into uh, like, this is a random question, but it just always comes up on our show that people seem to be into this, but are you interested at all about like horror movies and serial killers or any of that stuff?
2: Sure. Um, horror movies, yeah. Serial killer stuff, I'm, I'm I'm kind of over that point in my life. Um, okay, I was a big true crime kid. Um, I remember being, you know, twelve or thirteen or whatever. And uh, actually, even before that, I saw, uh, you know, you know, guys remember Rotten. Yeah. Oh yeah. So my friend down the street when I was in fifth grade was like, "Hey, have you ever heard of Rotten. Come over and check it out." <laughs> we, we would go over and look at it or whatever, and um that kind of i was already interested in horror movies and stuff since i was a little kid but then when the real life horror stuff became part of my awareness uh i got really into it even my own dad would be like why are you why are you reading this why are you watching this like i don't get it and i'd be like i don't know i'm just learning stuff i'm you know it's interesting and through my teen years um you know my friends and i were all kind of into like what what's the craziest shit or you know watch this or do that um but now i feel like i've really slowly over time just gotten less interested and it could have just been because i was so into it for so long but now i feel all these weird moral um implications of kind of spending a lot of time putting thought and, and, you know, spending my life reading about people that have like only done bad shit and it becomes kind of, um, I don't know. I don't want to feel like I'm contributing to a overarching like psychosphere of like they're being generated in this weird way. (laughs) Well, and it's just, I, uh, I'm a super, uh, straight laced person. Like I'm really, as I'm in my real life, I'm like as square as it gets. <laughs> I'm a serial monogamous. I've been with the same woman for 12 years. I'm straight edge. I've never had drugs or alcohol. Um, I live like a virtuous life where I try to help people and treat people really well. And, uh, but I've always also been interested in just crazy shit. I think because I'm so straight laced, I'm always like, what are the fucking wackos of the world up to? <laughs> you
0: know, <laughs> yeah take a peek um, in there
2: also at a certain point um you have to start factoring in pain and suffering into the equation and for me i don't want to derive that much pleasure from other people's pain and suffering right Um, that's
1: that's fair i understand that yeah
2: that's the you know i'll still read an article if some crazy shit happens i always want to know about it but i don't it doesn't occupy my mind so much, but um, horror stuff for sure. I love, I love horror uh, movies. I'm a big movie guy. Um, I always have been. So
1: that's also, I'll, I'll get back to that in a second because I want to ask you about some of your favorite movies. But the reason I was bringing it up is, uh, you actually have one of the more interesting serial killer cases in um sacramento in the 80s i don't know if you know can any. i
2: guess which one it is oh it yeah, yeah in the 80s it's dorothea puente right
3: yeah
1: that's the one i i, th- I found yeah. that one like fascinating just because it was like it's one of the few ones where it wasn't motivated was, you know it was actually monetarily motivated yeah
2: it's purely just greed which is yeah. unusual exactly and it's unusual for, uh, there's all kinds of do you know about this one i don't think so it doesn't sound familiar at all Okay, so the Dorothea Puente House in Sacramento is kind of like a little like unofficial landmark, and it was basically there was an old lady who would rent out her house, her rooms in her house to other old folks, and she would kill them, bury them in the backyard, and take their social security checks.
0: Okay, yes, 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 and then they would uh, she would just like keep on keeping on like they were alive. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I do remember that. Uh, and so I she's, think
2: she's a, a local, uh, local legend of ill repute for sure.
1: She Oof. ended up getting caught because of one guy's family that wouldn't accept like uh, the sto- story. story. Was, like,
0: wasn't like mm. she was like busy or something weird like that, like right, like
1: yeah, it was some guy. They they, they said that he had taken a ride to another. Uh, they, I think he was Mexican, and uh, it said he'd gone back to Mexico to visit family or something. And he obviously oh, like right. he, he didn't do that because he had like mental health problems and stuff so they started like asking questions and then she got investigated and then they, they dug up It was a ton of bodies it was like a lot of bodies in the yard she buried them all in the yard
0: yeah they were like she was like planting gardens and
1: shit with them, right exactly yep that's the one
0: well if you want yep. the real the real
2: crazy one from sacramento is um richard chase have you know richard chase
1: i don't think i know him Hang on. Nah, Richard
2: Richard Chase is referred to, I think, as the Sacramento Vampire. Huh. Oh um, boy. He. So this is in the 70s. He had this delusion that his blood was drying up, and that he needed to drink blood to survive. Wow. And um, he. I don't think he killed a bunch of people, but it was like really, really fucked up. Like uh, home invasion. You know, you just like slashing people with knives and shit and um when he got caught i think he got caught because he attacked someone in broad daylight like at a park and cut someone and tried to drink their blood or whatever and then they caught him and then obviously realized oh this is the guy that just killed you know like seven other people and, hey. his, and his infamous uh quote is they uh they asked him why did you target these people because he, he went into somebody's house and killed i think like two people in one incident, and he said, "Uh, the door was unlocked." So that is was it? his whole reasoning behind why he picked those people to be his victims. Is because he tried their door and it was unlocked. That was his signal that it was time to do whatever he was going to do.
0: He's um, like, "All right, he's... this door is unlocked. My blood's drying up." He's yeah. also the worst vampire. He's uh, like, he's breaking all the rules of vampires, and, like <laughs> that I know of. <laughs>
2: Well, he might've been a little desperate from the sounds of it. So you kind of have to bend the rules, I guess, but, uh, right,
0: right. <laughs>
2: yeah. He, that's uh, the only other, those, I think those are the two notable, um, killers of, uh, in Sacramento. It's a very bizarre stories for both. And I think yeah. they actually reference, I think they reference Richard Chase, uh, if I remember correctly, in mind Hunter, the Netflix series that got canceled
1: that was so that was so interesting i was pretty bummed out when they well actually netflix didn't cancel that one the director ended up moving on to something else and said he may come back to it so there's still a chance that oh really yeah Mm -hmm. i
2: didn't know that maybe i didn't read hard enough yeah i mean i love david fincher making a um, a series and the subject matter was pretty wild um i liked the the perspective of the show being like nobody even knew what was going on or how to how to classify what was going on right so they had formed this team or whatever and uh I didn't love the main actor but the supporting guy his his buddy the big like blockhead dude yeah is, uh, yeah fantastic and he's he's got a he's got bit roles in other David Fincher movies too He's an interesting actor
1: yeah he was he was good he, uh the the flat top dude
2: yeah mm. he you know he's actually uh, have you guys seen Alien 3
1: yeah
3: yeah
2: so the first he's in that he plays like crazy like rapist guy um the first like 45 minutes of that movie are so sick and i was like this is going to be the best movie ever (laughs) and then it just fucking falls apart and that's you know one of those like infamous um troubled sets i guess with filmmaking but i believe that that was i could be wrong but i think that that was david fincher's first feature-length film that he had directed after all the music videos that he had done
1: was that the one that was set in the prison or was that the, the yeah, yeah 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 and it yeah. had like the uh the different breed of alien it was like a runner because uh, it was it, it came from like a, a it was a really thin and fast instead yeah. of like the, the regular strong one
2: yeah I can't remember exactly what the I mean the movie wasn't good enough for me to like retain all the information from it right but there, <laughs> there was there's was definitely a weird alien that came out of something else I think yeah, it was think- an alien that came out of a dog yes that's it what it a was cat. it was a dog I it was a dog
1: cat, oh, it might have been a cat cat or a dog it was an animal was though cat. i remember yeah
2: something like that yeah but uh yeah that, that movie did it not was really the like it was um, ripley's cat that's right okay yeah okay
1: so diverting back slightly to something you said before what are some of your favorite horror movies
2: um i'm always a big proponent and uh, Die Hard Defender of the original che- Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Nice. Um, I don't think that it's one of the best horror movies ever made. I think it's one of the best movies ever made. Um,
1: nice.
2: And I think that it's incredibly unique in its position as an American independent film, first of mm-hmm. all, and as a horror film. Um, and it's just one of those once every decade kind of uh, lightning in a bottle movies that I mean, Toby Hooper was never able to recapture the magic from Texas Chainsaw, no matter what he did, um, which is a shame because that movie is incredible. And it I, I, you would think that it would lead to like the most illustrious film career after that. But he didn't really do anything of note except for Poltergeist. And it's arguable whether or not he was even the true mastermind behind Poltergeist because you have the influence of Steven Spielberg, which to me is more obvious watching the movie. Mm-hmm. But... Um, yeah texas chainsaw is uh undeniable to me i mean when i watch it i notice the sound design and the editing and it's like they were it's like they accidentally made the best movie ever because um, (laughs) you don't i don't get the feeling when i'm watching it that it's made by like a mature like a master of his craft but it's just it's like a punk record it's like when you listen to I don't know, the first Ramones record, you're like, wow, these guys kind of knew what they wanted to do and somehow it all just hit at the right moment. And it's just perfect, exactly perfect for what it is. And it makes a huge, bold and very simple statement. And to me, that's, that's Texas Chainsaw Massacre for sure.
1: Right. I agree. And, and I think- God,
2: everything else that's come out of it is just such shit. <laughs> I mean, Texas Chainsaw 2 is funny and silly, but it just doesn't, work and then everything else to come out of it is just so dumb and bad and it's like they didn't even it's they they liked the, the original movie but they didn't understand anything about what made it good
1: right and uh i think i think you can kind of say the same compliments to some extent about um evil dead the original one as well it's like
2: yeah yeah that... i love the evil dead um those are my you know, evil dead two evil dead two is like a better movie but mm-hmm. i like evil
0: dead one more
1: right yeah same Right. It was like actually, they tried uh, so
0: hard to, like, be, like, crazy, like, evil and all this, like, scary, and then it was just, like, kind of funny.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and it's also one of the few times that the remake was actually good. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's pretty good. I, I don't love it. I've only seen it once in the theater, and I remember thinking, like, oh, this is, you know, all right. There's the cool – I mean, it, doesn't it, like, rain blood at the end? Yeah. That was pretty cool. I mean, it's kind of hard not to like that, but uh, – I know that Park Chan Wook, the Korean director, had, at some point expressed interest in making Evil Dead four. Okay. And that would have been insane and I'm always I'm always a little bummed when I think about that franchise that
0: that never happened.
2: Mm-hmm. Um
0: I actually have you seen, a, a, go ahead. What was this? Have you seen the um the show? Um, yes. Ash. No,
2: I haven't watched it. I just there's something in my mind it's been blocking me from wanting to watch it um, it's um, i like more, bruce campbell a lot but
1: it's much more of a comedy not, it's like it's gone down much more of like a comedic route i guess because it's yeah. focused on his character obviously so it's going to be funny
0: and um, you know he does like that like you know maybe you know like yeah elvis kind of style i don't know how to describe it
1: it's fun I, I, I would, you can't take it too seriously but it's a lot it's a lot yeah. of fun it's gory my
2: favorite thing about the first movie is how serious they were taking it and so like <laughs> yeah the, the fact that they get less serious over time to me is is uh, kind of like the wrong move, but I still appreciate, you know, all the, the three movies or whatever. And I went to a screening of the evil dead last year with Bruce Campbell doing live commentary. And that oh, was wow. really fun. It was
1: That's literally awesome.
2: him sitting on stage with like a DVD remote and pausing the movie and talking about it while we were all in the theater. And that was, that was great. That dude is a consummate professional and like a, really funny like really really funny Like was funnier than some stand-up comedians that i've seen live just him riffing and talking like doing crowd work just yeah. talking to people in the front rows i was like this guy is fucking brilliant uh, made me appreciate bruce campbell quite a bit more than i already did which was a lot to begin with
1: <laughs> yeah hell that's yeah awesome. um some Anything people else? shrink
2: when you see them in real life and some people grow and he grew
1: definitely hundred percent you can say the same thing with some like uh live performances from musicians as well
2: right yes there are definitely bands that I didn't get it until I saw it live
1: yep yep and then other bands like I kind of lose some respect sometimes like they sound great in the studio and you see them live and they're like oh man that was like super disappointing sometimes yeah. like oh was that like were they having a bad day I'll, I'll catch them again just in case and then they second time they still suck and you're like oh man okay
0: <laughs> i felt like that like about like modest mouse you know i saw them live and i was like why are they just like stopping between every single song to break down instruments and do this and that like it didn't flow you know what i mean yeah so it was really like weird what the fuck yeah. does modest mouse need to do <laughs> exactly. right it was like they were just like <laughs> it was weird it was like i was just like why are they like Doing this again,
1: what's going on? Like I, I don't know. It was just odd.
0: I think I don't have any
2: songs where they need to be doing that.
1: I think one of the worst live performances I've seen <laughs> in my entire life was Marilyn Manson. It was like it, it was I didn't pay to see Marilyn Manson. He was at a festival, I saw him, and it was just like unbelievably bad. He he was like so poked out of his mind that he was barely functioning on stage.
2: I worked at um Aftershock, which is this, you know, Sacramento rock metal festival. Yeah. Um, as, as like a driver, I go pick people up. One year, and I went and picked up a bus driver for one of these bands, and I was talking to him, and um, he was telling me like, "Yeah, I used to be Ozzy Osbourne's bus driver. He's like the best. He's a super fun guy." Um, and he and I was like, the, "The clear question is, who's the worst person that you worked for?" And he's mm-hmm. like, "Oh, Marilyn Manson." <laughs> and he said that Marilyn Manson's a fucking Dickhead, like just not a nice person and just like antagonistic and weird. And, um, I mean, it checks out. He's definitely not like the coolest guy (laughs) that's been proven.
1: Yep. Yeah. I would say it doesn't surprise me at all. Um, after everything that's, you know, kind of come out.
2: Well, and what's cool for you and your experience is that it didn't like shatter your illusion of who Marilyn Manson was. It's <laughs> That's not like true. The, yeah, it's not like your favorite band was up there, and all of a sudden they suck ass. It was like, oh yeah, this guy's definitely a dick, like for sure.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. He was like forgetting the lyrics to his own song, spitting everywhere, oh, like oh, nice. tripping over things on stage. Like it was, imbe- and he he kept going off stage to obviously do more coke, and then coming back on. I'm like, dude, like this is so was, unprofessional. Like,
0: my makeup so- fell off
1: yeah cause I, i've seen <laughs> him twice like at the, twice at the same festival first time he was obviously like a lot more sober and it was a very different show um and that was kind of cool because johnny depp actually played the drums um in what? secret yeah no one knew That's it was weird him. um because they, they're like super good friends um and uh, <laughs> of course they are <laughs> he, he was like uh filming one of the pirates of the caribbean uh movies at the gold coast and uh he disappeared from set like no one could find johnny Depp apparently, and. Then there's this different masked drummer. There was like a special he's like, Welcome my special friend to the show. Did the show. Then like it was revealed afterwards that that was Johnny Deva.
2: What a trip! Is this that was in Australia? Yeah, it was. That sounds fun. I wanna go someday. It's on my bucket list for sure.
1: It's yeah. uh, it's a great place, but I would say like uh from a music fan perspective, the US or Europe is where you wanna be. Um I've seen more bands probably since I moved to the U.S. a couple of years ago than I had the whole of my life before that, just because there's so much touring here and it's so goddamn cheap um, for shows. It's so expensive to see bands in Australia.
2: We'll have to play some free shows out there then.
1: (laughs) It makes complete sense because bands have to pay for the airline ticket to get there. There's only a couple major cities, and they're all like flying distance. You can drive, but you're gonna lose like a lot of time. So to make up their costs, yeah, they kind of have to charge more. Right. From what I
2: understand, um, touring and it, it, even just culturally, Australia is essentially just a ring. Yeah, it's just mm-hmm. like the coast, and then the middle is is like unoccupied. From what I understand,
1: it, basically yes. There, there's some stuff in the middle, but you really don't need to go there. There's nothing to to see.
0: Like, no man,
1: nah. for a band, there's nothing in the middle, and then even like you kind of just have all it really is is Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Adelaide, and Perth. And Perth's like you have to really want to go to Perth as a band because it's it's like the other side of a continent, basically, and there's nothing in between,
2: yeah. Well, I uh I was talking to an Aussie a while ago. Because I know somebody from from Adelaide, and I told him that, and he goes, "Oh, Adelaide is the asshole of Australia." Do you agree with
1: that? <laughs> I mean, they uh, they had to do a tourism campaign to try and stop young people from leaving because no one wanted to stay there, and uh, they went they went with the very unfortunate uh, "Radelaide." Um, <laughs> oh,
2: <that's cool.
1: laughs> so, so it was like obviously some middle-aged dudes who like what are the young people like i don't know we'll call it rad and like bradley yeah they, they just ran with that so that was their like yeah, official then you get slogan
2: people people changing it to badelaide yep <laughs> with just a single stroke of the pen you can change the r to the b
1: exactly <laughs> um so I, I only just noticed we're kind of coming up towards time soon um brendan always has some questions he likes to ask before we uh finish up so i'll I'll hand it over to him
0: go ahead well um well we talked about playing music um but what's your favorite place to play live in your city
2: hmm um there's a couple i mean i i kind of like everywhere that we've played for different reasons we just played with paul bearer at this place called harlow's um which is a great venue, has good sound, has great lighting, uh, but is like really awkwardly set up. So that's the thing against it. And then there's the Cafe Colonial, which is connected to the Colonial Theater here in Sacramento. And that place is rad because of the vibe and the crowd that comes out, but it's also like really awkwardly laid out. And then there is the Colony, which is connected to the Cafe Colonial, which is connected to the theater. And that's literally just like a room with some speakers in it and <laughs> I, I love it for that reason but the sound when you're in there playing especially we play at such high volume that it's like kind of absurd on stage i mean what last time we played there the stage was vibrating under my feet so much that it was distracting me um it was like standing on a hitachi magic wand or something it was fucking crazy <laughs> that's uh, wild. um And I mean, to to that note, I mean, one of my favorite shows that we've ever played in this area is we played at a little record store um, called The Audio Nerd, and they just like moved some shit out of the way. And we set up and um, Steve, the owner of The Audio Nerd, brought out this crazy old PA and hooked it up. And then we just blasted the shit out of this little record store. And it was really fun. So, I mean, to me, the room is not so important, not so much as like, I just want people to be there and have fun. Right. Feel comfortable. Feel comfortable and enjoy the music. And that's, I mean, I'll play. I don't know. I'll play fucking wherever. Uh, We always joke about. There's this picture. I'm sure you guys have seen it, but it's like some band is playing in like I don't even know fucking Iraq or something, and there's just like a goat in the middle of the crowd looking at them. Oh yeah, yeah. And Jacob, our drummer, always says like, "I would play to three guys and a goat." That's like, we'll we'll do it. You know, the, the <laughs> venue is not as important. If there's if there's enough speakers or if there's enough volume from the speakers that my voice can be carried out over the amps, then we're, we'll play.
0: That's awesome. You know, and to then, me, the
2: venue is never the shittiest part of a bad show.
0: Right. It's, right.
2: right. It's, either, it's either having to deal with somebody who's in a bad mood or the other bands aren't being professional. That's the number one thing that pisses me off is people not having their, you know, having a fucking control over what's going on.
0: Right. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Um, What's your favorite song to play live of yours?
2: Um, So we're, we've kind of decided slash um, agreed upon because it's so obvious that we're going to be playing the song Halo probably forever. Yeah. And it's a really difficult song for us to play live only for about five seconds because they need to be able to hear my voice which doesn't always happen and i need to be able to hear my voice enough to deliver the the proper pitch to do this vocal intro to the song it's just acapella yeah um, but other than that it's so much fun to play and we always have a good time and it's really high energy it has like big highs and lows and it's only like yeah. six or seven minutes long so yeah um, playing the ones that are like 14 to 15 minutes long can be really stressful um so the shorter the song usually the more fun it is to play live. Yeah. We're working right on a on. cover song right now too, that might end up in the live set. That's only two minutes long and it's so crazy. Cause we'll go to practice and play it like 10 times in a row. And it's only been a half hour. It's fucking, we're not used that's, to that at all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, um, I was going to actually ask you about, um, you know, you did your Nirvana's covers. Um, do you, have you ever played uh, covers live?
2: Um, we've never incorporated a cover into our normal set. We have done cover sets, but we've never like played a couple of our own tracks and then played a cover. That's never happened. But this new song that we're learning that I won't tell you guys what it is on recording, um, is short enough and it's heavy enough and it's fun enough that I feel like, you know, if we have an extra three minutes or we, you know, fuck it, let's play this song and we, we might start doing that. Who knows? Who knows?
0: Hell yeah. Like end the night with it or something. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Um, what, where, where are we going to eat food? Where are we going?
2: Well, um, what day of the week is it? Is it Thursday night practice or is it Saturday morning practice?
0: Ooh, let's go for both.
2: Um, Thursday night sucks. Um, there's this shitty fucking Mexican restaurant that the other guys like called El Forestero, and I hate it. I had the worst carne asada of my life there. It came out in one giant piece of flank steak. Oh, it it wasn't. Spicy. They didn't even cut it up. Oh, and, they, and I only had a plastic butter knife to cut it with, and it was fucking. It was like roadkill meat. It was super tough. It I was hate like that like place. A tongue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, we get Chipotle sometimes, which is cool. But then uh. When my drummer gets fucking tired of Chipotle, which is whatever. Uh, we get Jim Boy's Tacos, which is a Sacramento staple. Um, I don't get anything other than the tacos because anything other than the tacos stinks at that place. Uh, <laughs> but if it's Saturday morning, now we're talking. Now we go to this diner called Little Joe's, All right. which is what we also call our bass player Little Joe or Baby Joe, as I said earlier, because he's the band baby. Um, you know, that's where you can get some, uh, your waitress will have gold teeth, which I really like. (laughs) Love Um, it. And there's just like the people that go in there. There's just some trippy ass characters that go in there. There's a guy that wears like scrubs, but he's also looks like he's had insane plastic surgery to his face. (laughs) Um, I think the other day I saw him and I called him Dr. Love. Cause he just looks like (laughs) a doctor love for sure. He looks like the kind of guy that would try to, he would do that like dick lengthening surgery that doesn't work.
3: You
1: know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs)
2: Like, Oh, here's a Bruce Campbell reference for you. Have you guys seen escape from LA?
1: Yes. Yep.
2: Bruce Campbell in escape from LA, his fucking creepy plastic surgery face. He looks like that guy, but he's wearing scrubs to a diner for no reason. Um, and uh, that place is great. The food's awesome and it's cheap. And then there's a uh, another place that we used to go to all the time that's by the old Earth Tone Studios where we would record, and it's called Jalisco Grill. And shockingly, not only is their Mexican food incredible, but they also have one of the best cheeseburgers I've ever had. Nice. So, fucking A, that's where I want to go to eat, basically.
0: Hell yeah. Nice. And then, um, uh, musically... Um, did you, uh, like, take voice training lessons and things like that when you were a kid growing up, or did you just Hell always no. sound beautiful? <laughs> uh, I, well, what you, th- what you hear when
2: you say that I sound beautiful is a recording, which is not real life. <laughs> um, yeah. In real life, you don't get to do shit over. Um, I actually have all kinds of problems with my voice, and I just use the only, the usable range of my voice, which is very small but I try to, you know, it's not the size of the boat. It's the motion of the ocean type of thing with my voice basically. All right. Um, I also still have like puberty voice, even though I'm 30, my voice still cracks (laughs) all the time. Um, Especially at the end, like I'm a waiter at a restaurant and after a long shift of just talking all day. um, Yeah. My voice will definitely crack. So I've actually been considering going to a vocal coach just to help with my everyday speech. Not, not necessarily like my singing of course I would love to learn more voice control but yeah um, even just my speaking voice I have all kinds of issues with so um, i'm I'm making do with the with the tools that I have vocally and I, i'm I'm proud of what is on the records for sure
0: hell yeah nice and then um basically um like well you you play guitar right
2: uh, yeah I play guitar
0: yeah So uh, did you learn that when you're uh, growing up or?
2: Yeah, I started playing guitar when I was 13. Um, My dad got me a guitar from Best Buy that came with a little amp. Um, Yeah. And I didn't have any lessons. Um, I kind of just stumbled around. Um, A a good friend of mine growing up um, also started kind of playing guitar at the same time as me. And we would kind of play off of each other and kind of oh check out what i learned here try this and um it, it was really slow going i'm still not an advanced guitar player after playing for like 17 years now um, yeah but at this point i don't even give a shit about like technicality it's i don't give like if you can fucking like look at ingway Malmstein like that dude can shred but he can't write a song
1: yes right agreed you know
2: like have you ever have you ever heard like fucking not to bag on him because I kind of like him but like a Steve Vai song and been like oh my god my life has changed like not really but just a guy with a you know an acoustic guitar playing like two chords can be you know life affirming or life changing or whatever it's right you know some people do uh, get everything that they need out of music with like progressive rock and shredding and technical stuff but. Technical stuff is cool if you can use it in a way that makes a really compelling song, but other than that, like I mean, I don't really care.
1: I, I personally, at the genre of
2: music. I play doom metal. It's about slow, being slow, and you know, songs take forever. Nobody's out here shredding and sweet picking and stuff.
1: Yeah, I personally rate atmosphere above technicality almost any day of the week. Mm, oh, definitely, hundred percent.
2: Like to me, I mean, have you guys? Are you guys like in, in in the ambient music at all? Yeah, yeah. So, you look at something like William Basinski. Yes. You know, obviously, obviously disintegration loops, obviously like melancholia, but um, like water music. I don't know if you guys have heard water music.
1: No, I haven't heard that one.
2: It's just like, it's like a shimmering, kind of amorphous, shapeless chord, kind of just going on and on for like an hour, two hours or something. And uh, I like it. And it takes technically very little skill to produce something like that. But to me, it's, it's really interesting and, and deep.
3: Yeah. Um,
2: Or there's that, um, I don't know if you guys have heard this, it's like Pharaoh Sanders and floating points album. Mm -mm. Um, and it's the, the kind of the concept of the album is that they only play two chords, the same two chords in the same order over and over for the whole album. And then everything else around those two chords is kind of like adornment and decoration that comes on and comes off. Interesting. And that was one of the most compelling things i heard heard in a long time. And it's so cyclical and repetitive that most people wouldn't be able to get through five minutes of it.
1: Right, right. Interesting. That's like, like, um, yes, I was going to say, but like, uh, do you listen to like any like ritual ambient stuff?
2: Uh, I don't know do you have like an example I don't know yeah I've um, heard that specific term before uh
1: so it's like my my favorite one is uh Shabalba from Greece have you heard have you ever heard of them
2: no how do you spell that
1: s-h-i-l-b-a-l-b-a I I think Shibalba. um I'll send you a link to it after this uh podcast because it's like it's fascinating that it's called ritual Ambient because it's like
2: send me a link because I that sounds really fucking weird
1: it is it's like super dark and haunting um it uses like a lot of traditional instruments a lot of like monastic chanting um oh
2: yeah that's gonna be my kind of thing
1: sweet yeah I'll I'll send it over to you it's awesome and then if you like ambient stuff there's actually an awesome label from Oregon called cryo chamber that just does Mm. like ambient and dark ambient
2: I'm (laughs) pretty sure I've I've heard this I might follow them on social media or something that sounds familiar awesome so, yeah, de- um, the, the monastic kind of singing reminds me of like David Hikes. I found a David Hikes record at a record shop sometime. I think it's called, oh my God, uh, something with the voice, but it's, he's making ambient music but with a choir. Huh. It's so fucking weird. And they do these like crazy rising and falling vocal movements of like sort of atonal, almost like Christoph Penderecki, but with no orchestra with just people's voices like in a room huh. it's really crazy shit and i love that kind of stuff and i would love to put more wild shit like that but the other guys in the band are just like dude this is too much like let's get to like fucking let's get to the point where's the riff
1: <laughs> yeah yeah
2: there is there is um a validity to it don't bore us get to the chorus kind of thing like if you if you listen to the new chrome ghost record um the longest that you have to wait to get to the vocals is in the song where black dogs dream. And I think it's like 45 seconds. Right? But the Other, but um, house of falling ash, the furnace and rose in bloom, the vocals all start within like two seconds. Because that is how you get how you hook somebody, you have to have vocals. I'm sorry, guitar riffs are amazing. But if you want to hook people that aren't just riff monster metalheads you have to have the voice somewhere right and so that was a conscious decision where we were like let's do the opposite of like what what would electric wizard do they would have a minute and a half of just the same riff over and over again Mm -hmm. which is cool i like it but what about the song starting immediately with the vocal um and there there is a lot of that you know that's a legit complaint that my bandmates would have that they don't want to do the 10 minute intro post-rock build-up thing you know right i'll give him credit hell yeah was there any more questions did we reach the end
1: i think we did it yeah it's just on time too it was easy (laughs) um so is there anything sort of that you want to just touch on before we wrap up or you basically think we've covered everything
2: I don't know, man. People can uh, follow us on social media. That would help. I basically only used Instagram. It's the only social media website thing that I can fucking stand using. Um, <laughs> I will, I will drop a little nugget on the podcast is that we're going to release three cover songs this year. One, one every four months. So um, All right. <clears throat> people should keep their eye out for that. It'll probably be like, you know, If you want to download it it'll be pay whatever you want and they'll be obviously on spotify and stuff and but i'm thinking more about you know i am a firm believer in an album i never put music on shuffle i think that's fucking satanic i think it's disgusting (laughs) uh i think if you're gonna put a record on you should start it at the beginning and you should turn it off at the end yep 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 but um i also am like aware that Music marketing now is not about that at all. It's about songs and songs being incredibly short, fucking, mm-hmm. in my opinion, bullshit, like minute and a half, you know, little Uzi Vert song that doesn't go anywhere, doesn't do anything.
0: <laughs> right. It um, uh, doesn't even say anything.
2: <laughs> I mean, that's up to interpretation. <laughs> um, but I am also aware that like, you know, it would probably be a good idea to kind of just like leave trails of breadcrumbs for people to follow instead of like coming out with a 10 course meal and being like, I hope you're hungry.
0: (laughs) Right, right, right. right.
2: (laughs) You know, most people would be like, Hey, I'm good. But if you're like, Hey, here's a cookie come over here. I have another cookie. And they might be like, Oh, this is, you know, I like this. (laughs) So we're we're going to try that strategy. We're writing a new record um, that won't be done this year. So I guess future people, uh be aware that there will be something new at some point but um yeah that's pretty much it i don't i don't have anything else to promote chrome ghost is like my
0: thing
1: awesome well thank you so much for coming on the show we um we've obviously big fans as we mentioned so it meant a lot that you actually took the time to come on um yeah
0: absolutely thank you
1: yeah we'd love to have you on when the next album comes out to talk about that one
2: yeah for sure i will say that you guys for being cave dwellers are very eloquent and well-spoken
1: thank you we appreciate that. (laughs) 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 all right well everyone clearly it's
2: like it's like that uh, plato's cave illusion and you guys have been watching
0: a lot of hooked on phonics (laughs) 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 my cave mom has been teaching me well yeah
1: (laughs) all right well
2: cheers guys i really appreciate having me on
1: yeah thank you and thanks for everyone for listening and uh tune in next time we'll have another guest next time